My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website, hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. Romans chapter 12, and uh, you can head there. Um, We are blowing through the book of Romans right now. Uh, It's going by extremely fast. I think this is week number seven uh, as far as how many messages have been, and we are going to finish Romans next week. Next week is going to be the end of Romans, so we're going to have gone through Romans in eight weeks. Again, uh, I hope that you have been reading along. I hope that you have been going deeper into these. We are just going through uh, just the basic idea of what Romans is all about, and hopefully that's been beneficial uh, as you've been reading and as you've been studying through the book. Um, So today we are going to go through this next thought, which is Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 1, all the way to Romans chapter 15, verse 13, is what we're going to get through today. And, uh, and no, we are not reading the whole thing. I know you're extremely sad about that, but uh, I think that would just take the hour just reading through all of that. But we are going to hit some major highlights so that you get a great idea of what is being talked about here and why Paul went to this uh, section next, all right? Um, incredible time of worship uh, today as we, as we started. Um, I really enjoy uh, worshiping with you guys. I really have enjoyed uh, being your worship leader. Um, I wouldn't be mad if somebody came along and said, hey, I can sing and play guitar and, uh, and I just pass that off. Um, that would be really cool, but there would be a part of me that would be really, really sad uh, if that happened because it's been a part of my life for so, so long. And I love, uh, I'll tell you what I love. I love leading out in worship. We always tell our band, we're not worship leaders, we're lead worshipers. And so we're worshiping, and then as we worship, hopefully we're leading you in worship as well. Um, but uh, one thing I love about uh, leading worship is I love uh, watching everyone. Um, That sounds creepy, but it's not, okay? Uh, I I mean, like, what I mean by that is I love seeing how you respond to what we're singing. I love seeing how you respond to what the words are on the screen. Because I, I love whenever, I love watching, and don't you love watching as well whenever God's at work in someone's life? It's awesome to see that happen. And so I love being able to stand up here and, and sing songs and lead you guys and then just watch how you deal with the Lord. And I've got to be careful because uh, if I pay too much attention, it will make me emotional. Like it will bring me to tears because I just love watching the Lord work in people's lives and how he does that. And, uh, and so I love being able to do that. And, and what's cool is that you guys, resp- like people respond in different ways right? Uh, You know, back in the day, I used to think like, oh, if, if, you know, like, uh, if anybody raises their hand, they're just faking it. Like, I remember being like, you know, way back, I went to old, like, old church, and uh, they had like this old church mentality. And I remember whenever like, people started like being hand raisers, and everybody's like, what are you doing? Like, put it down, you faker. Remember like that? I don't know if you grew up like that, but in the church that I was in, it kind of felt that way. Like, if somebody was like, lifted their hand in worship, they might stop and ask them if they have a question. Like, that might 
might be what happened in that church. But um, I remember though, uh, you know, then then as you kind of like, as we kind of got a little bit older, I started to go in like to different places that, you know, worship different ways. And and now people were like hand raising and people were like talking during service, like amening and all this other kind of stuff, you know? And, uh, and it's a little more charismatic in nature. I'm like, now anybody that didn't lift their hands, I'm like, what's wrong with you? Like, are you just a dead emotionally? Like, are you a, like spiritually dead? Put your hands in the air. Like what is, but the thing is, is people respond differently to what the Lord is. And, and here's what it might happen. Like it might lead someone just to respond just by sitting down and just by like closing their eyes and just taking in whatever's being sung. Maybe somebody will respond just by standing there and just, and just singing the lyrics out loud. That is their response just in song, right? Some people um, will respond through tears. I've, I, I see that happen in people's lives. Some people uh, will respond just by standing there and their eyes are closed and their hands are up. And this is, this is just in response to what the song is saying, what the lyrics are saying, like what God is doing and moving in your heart and you respond. That's what worship is, is, is a response to God. It's response to what he's doing and what he's saying. That's what worship is. And sometimes uh, people respond with excitement. Sometimes people respond with clapping or dancing, right? I'm getting too crazy up in here, but like people, people respond just in kind of different ways. Uh, sometimes they jump up and down. Sometimes I don't know, like, like I, I'm not a big fan of, of churches that just are used to doing these things. Like if everybody's uniform and doing the same thing, that worries me a little bit. But whenever you've got a variety of worshipers in the room, I love that because I feel like people are, are responding not because everyone else is doing it, but because it's really what the Lord is dealing with them about. And I love that people do that. It's a joy to watch. But are you aware that worship doesn't start when the music starts? Worship doesn't stop when the band stops playing. That's not when worship begins and that's not when worship ends. Today, the title of the message, if you're a note taker, is going to be living a life of worship. Living a life of worship. How do we worship God with our lives? We're going to look at that today. We're going to walk through a large chunk of scripture and we're going to take this journey through Romans where Paul discusses what a life of worship looks like. Really, the Bible explains what a life of worship looks like, but that's what Paul is specifically going to zero in on in these chapters. And it starts in Romans 12, goes for about three and a half chapters, but these three and a half chapters are all anchored in the first two verses. So as, as we look at the rest of these chapters, we are going to keep in mind the first two verses because what Paul is going to say, he's going to say these verses and then he's going to give an example of life based on these two verses. So let's look into the scripture and let's see what these two verses say and how they apply to us living a life of worship. So it'll be on the screen for you. I'm going to read these first two verses in, verses in the English Standard Version. I just love the way it's translated in this version. Um, and so here's what it says. Paul says this. He's, of course, being led by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. He says this. I appeal to you, therefore. Whenever you see the therefore, what are you supposed to do? Ask what it's there for, right? That's what you're supposed to do. Why is it there? Here's something really cool. I appeal to you, therefore. Do you know what that therefore has to do with? The 11 chapters before. Like, it's like he was setting us up the whole time 
therefore, these are the two verses I think that are the central verses in the book of Romans. Here's what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. All right, we're going to start here. There is an extremely, extremely tight-knit relationship between what we think and what we do. They're directly related. What you think and what you do. The reason you do the things that you do are because of the way that you think. All right? I know that's like simple, not mind-blowing stuff, but the reason that you do the things you do are because of the ways you think. Have you ever looked at someone else and their actions and just said to yourself, why are they the way they are? Have you ever looked at someone and their actions and gone like, why do you do that? What, what is it in you that makes you do this, right? I say that to my kids a lot whenever they're doing stuff, and I'm like, why? Why do you do that? But I, how many times did my parents look at me and go, what? Or why? Like, why, right? I know Tamara looks at me a lot and asks this question. Uh, she asked, why are you the way that you are? That might have actually been said earlier today. I don't even know. Like, it's something I hear quite frequently, all right? But I also look at her and I'm like, why are you the way that you are, right? Because she's a woman and I don't get it. Like sometimes I just, I don't understand. And why? Like, why does this happen? It's because we think differently. Like my teenage son, my nine-year-old daughter thinks differently than my 41-year-old self, right? And then we can also bridge the gap between men and women. Like women think one way, guys think one way, and they look at each other and they're like, why? And then they get married. And they try to live together and like try to do life together. And, you're, and so now you just have a bunch of why, like why, right? That's why people need counseling because you try to put two people together who think completely opposite and put it, it just doesn't work so well, right? You gotta work through some stuff. That's what marriage is. But we think differently. But here's the thing. It's the same with the word of God. It's the same with the word of God. The behaviors and customs of the world fixing to blow your minds, are vastly different than the behaviors and customs of God. Not shocking news. But the behavior and customs of the world are, are so different than what the word of God says and what God's behaviors and customs are. God's ways are not the ways the world has led itself to. And as Christians who now have the Holy Spirit, we have the mind of Christ, our actions should look different than the majority of the unredeemed world. Do you agree with that? Our actions should look different because we have, a, we have a different mind now. We have a different way of thinking now. So then how do we keep, how do we keep from conforming actions to those of the world? You saw that second verse when he says right there, he says, do not be conformed to this world. What does that mean? Do not, do not conform your mind to this world. Don't conform your actions to the way that the world acts, which is in opposition to the way God acts but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal, okay? So how do we keep from conforming our actions to those of the world? Well, it's by changing the way we think. We have to change the way we think, and, and the way we change the way we think is by letting our minds be renewed. 
And we're going to talk about what that means about a renewing of the mind, all right? Look at verse 1 again. He says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So he's saying there's, I can't remember what translation it said that said this, but it says, in view of God's mercies, all right? I, I, I appeal to you. I love that word because he's like, I'm begging you, basically. Like I'm asking with an earnesty that you please listen to what I am saying, brothers, that in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So the, the opposite of a life conformed to the world is what scripture calls right there a living sacrifice. And I know that seems like an oxymoron. What'd you call me? Right? That seems like an oxymoron, right? But it, it is. It, I mean, it straight up is. So what is a living sacrifice? Well, it's somebody who's alive, but who is also dead. Dead to what? Dead to themselves. Dead to their way of living. They have said, I no longer want to live the way that I want. I'm no longer going to live the way that I want to live. I'm going to live the way that God wants me to live. So I'm going to sacrifice my life and, and everything that I want to do to give it to the Lord and say, here, God, it's an offering to you. I offer my life to you for your glory and for your service and for your purposes. So again, how do we get there? The key to all of it is at the beginning, in view of God's mercy. We have to be in view of God's mercy all the time. As you dwell upon the mercies of God that he has shown you. If you guys remember, Paul spent the first 11 chapters basically talking about this. If I could sum up the first 11 chapters of Romans, it would be mercy needed, mercy given. That's how I would really sum up the first 11 chapters of Romans. Because if you remember, Paul is telling everyone at the beginning, hey, you're lost and you need Jesus. Like he's telling everyone that. He's like, you, and this is why. You're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, oh, and you're a sinner, right? And you are separated from God because of that. So he spends a lot of time convincing everyone that they are not going to make it to heaven on their own, that they need the mercy of God in their life. And then he says, but guess what? God has shown that mercy through Jesus Christ. He has provided that grace. He has, he has shown you mercy, right? So he's saying in view of all of that, like as you think upon that, as you dwell upon the mercy that God has shown you, like every single one of us, we were all in need of mercy. And the truth is that the Lord showed us that through Jesus Christ. We gave our lives to the Lord and now we stand here redeemed, not because of anything that we've done, but because of everything that he's done. And whenever we wake up in the morning, we can say, I'm saved. Why? Because God showed mercy to us. And so he's saying, therefore, as you remember God's mercy in your life, do you know what the natural response of remembering mercy is? Offering yourself as a living sacrifice. That should be the response. And guess what the response to God doing something in your life is also called? Worship. That's what worship is. Like we talked about responding to the songs and you responded in what we call worship, but that's not all that worship is. Worship is a response to God through his mercy. And it's by how you've lived your life. So at any point, you notice yourself starting to conform to the patterns of the world. Remember the mercy God has shown you through Jesus Christ. Remember how you were dead in your sin. Remember how much you were in need of a savior and then remember his provision of that savior. 
and your mind is going to start to renew. This is going to start to renew your mind and it will start to line up with the patterns of God instead of the patterns of the world. Your mind will conform to that and your response to that renewal will not be a life of conformity, but a living sacrifice, which is what worship is. And then Paul spends chapters 12 through, through part of chapter 15, showing us practical ways to live that life of worship. So he's like, hey, remember God's mercy on your life? Respond. Respond to him with your life as a living sacrifice, as your worship. And then he's going to say, here's some ways to do that. Don't you guys love getting some practical advice on things? Well, that's what he's about to give us, all right? Like I could say, all right, well, let's, let's close it down. We're going to have the band come up. I am the band. That'd be weird. But like, you know, we're, gonna, we're now going to close it down. And I could leave you with that and you'd be like, okay, I'm going to go be a living sacrifice. How does that work exactly? Now, praise God, he's about to tell us all of these things that we get to, uh, get to do. So we're not going to get through everything. We're going to hit some highlights. But verse three, here's how he kicks things off though. He's like, all right, Remember God's mercy. It will cause you to be a living sacrifice. It will renew your mind. It will cause you to be a living sacrifice. And, and that is what your worship is, that response. And then he says this, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, is verse three in chapter 12. He says, I give each of you this warning, okay? He's about to go off into stuff, but before he does, he's got to give them a warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. So he wants to make sure that before you go into this, that you have the right frame of mind about yourself. And what is that right frame of mind? Number one, our first point for the message today is a life of worship is humble. A life of worship is humble. Because think about what he's saying there. He says, don't think you are better than you really are. Instead, he says, be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. If you evaluate yourself, right? I know a lot of us, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but you're not all that, okay? Like, we're just not. None of us in this room are. And that shouldn't be offensive. You know what we are? All we are are sinners saved by grace. Every one of us are on a level playing field here. All of us are sinners that have been saved by grace. And that's what he's saying to have whenever he says, be honest in your evaluation of yourself. Whenever you honestly evaluate your life, I doubt you're going to end up going, I'm awesome, right? Like if you honestly evaluate your life, you're going to go, man, I've blown it. Praise God for Jesus, right? That's going to be an honest evaluation of yourself. And what that's going to lead to is a life of humility, a life of humility. Now, he says this because he's setting them up for what he's going to say next, because he's going to talk about a life of serving one another. And you can only do that whenever you're in a humble mindset. The, the mindset that's not humble, but arrogant says everyone exists to serve me. But the mindset that is humble says I exist to serve. All right. So that's what he's going to go to next in this. Here we go. Verse four through six says this, just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. He's talking about the church. We are many parts of one body of believers, and we all what? Belong to each other. That means you belong to other people, all right? You're not thinking that, I mean, they do belong to you as well, but if you don't belong to them and all they do is belong to you, 
Well, then now you're not living a humble life. You're living in an arrogant life and you're, you don't have a proper view of yourself. And then he says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. All right. And then he hits on a few of those spiritual gifts and how they're to be used. But number two point, put this down. A life of worship serves the church. A life of worship serves the church. If you're in view of God's mercy, you've offered yourself as a living sacrifice because it's renewed your mind, then your knee-jerk reaction is going to be to go and serve others. It's going to be to go inside this church and it's going to be to serve one another, all right? I um, have a hard time, or, you know, I've, I've heard uh, time and time again that, um, and I have a hard time whenever people come to me and they say, well, you don't have to be a Christian to go to, you know, like, you don't have to, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Have you guys ever heard that before? People come and they're like, oh, yeah, I don't go to church. Why? You don't have to go to church to be a Christian, right? It's like, okay, that's cool. But my response, and that's true. I mean, we all know that, like, at the basic, you know, that's true. But if you want to live like one, you do. Because if you notice in this scripture right here, it doesn't say, like, be sure to go to church, that's not a, that he didn't say like as a, a part of a part of life a life of worship go to church. Do you know what the scripture says? Well, it assumes you already do. He shouldn't have to say, "Hey, go to church." Like he's saying, "Oh, you know that life of worship." Yeah. So while you're together and while you're at church, serve one another. He didn't have to say go right because that's not what you do. You don't live for yourself. You live for other people. And, uh, and, and you can write this down. Um, it, I just wrote this down as I was thinking about it. But I wrote down, a renewed mind will make you dependable. So a life of worship will make you dependable. Everyone will be able to depend on you because they know you're going to be there for them in the church, serving them and using your spiritual gifts to edify the church. So a renewed mind will make you dependable. A conformed mind to the world views the church as expendable. So a transformed mind makes you dependable. But a conformed mind views the church as expendable. Somebody whose mind is conformed to the world will say stuff like, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You'll see the church as expendable. And you know what? You're also going to see the church as kind of like a, well, I'll just make it when I can. I'll just kind of go whenever it's convenient for me, right? That's what, that's what a, a mind of having been in the world and being conformed by the world will say. But a transformed mind says, no way. I'm going to move everything else because I'm going to make sure I'm with the body because I, I'm going to serve. I'm going to be a part of that, all right? Um, and so we're going to go on to number three. Verse 9 through 16, um, Paul's going to hit a bunch of areas in life, a bunch. And uh, whenever I was uh, preparing this, 9 through 16 was extremely convicting for me, all right? So uh, just get ready. Um, I don't know if you wore your steel toe boots, but your, your, your toes are probably going to get stepped on uh, a little bit because of what uh, he's about to say. Um, but we're all going to be kind of in the same boat. And so number three, what I want you to put uh, is this. A life of worship looks like verses 9 through 16, okay? <laughs> because there are like 22 things in this, and I don't want to have that many points because it won't fit on one slide, all right? So, I, you know, plus if I said, I've got a 30-point sermon today, all of you would have been like, today would have been the day to miss, <laughs> right? But don't worry, there's only eight. 
All right, so that's plenty anyway. So three, a life of worship looks like this, verses 9 through 16. Let's lead. And what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about what the transformed life says, and then I'm going to talk about what the conformed life to the world would say as well. And you're going to notice this is probably a battle within yourself because you live in the world. So we're going to look at it. And, and I know you guys understand this, that the Word of God is usually um, counterculture. It's usually countercultural, and it's also usually counterintuitive. Like that means that your knee-jerk reaction is not going to be to do the things that he's going to say to do right now because you've been living in this world and because you've been around it so much, your knee-jerk reaction and because of the flesh and because of sin and all of these things, like your, your knee-jerk reaction is going to be to not do these things. But he's saying, if you want to live a life of worship, a transformed life, this is what it looks like. All right. So he says in verse nine, a transformed life doesn't pretend to love others but it really loves them. Don't pretend to love others. Really love them. You know what the conformed life says and what this world is going to tell you? Is they're super annoying, but go ahead and fake it for appearance sakes because it's just actually easier to do that than really love them. How many of you have been tempted to do that? I mean, not everybody's lovable, right? Like you probably got some people in your mind, all of a sudden they're like, they're a little bit tough to love, right? And how many times have we been guilty of just faking it with those people? Like just being cordial because that's what we're supposed to do. Well, that's what he's saying. I mean, that's what the world would say. Hey, go ahead and fake it. Like, I mean, as, I mean, as long as they think you love them, then really, does it really matter? But that's not what he says. A life of worship that's been transformed by the renewing of your mind doesn't just pretend to love others. It actually does love others. Uh, also, the transformed life, the life of worship, it says, hate what is wrong. That's, what, that, that's a life of worship, hating what is wrong. What does the culture say? What does the world say? Well, it says if a large part of the culture accepts it, you should too. Why not, right? And I know that a lot of people, especially in the church, are guilty of doing that. But he says, hate what is wrong. And then he says, uh, the, the transformed life holds tightly to what is good. You know what the world would say? The, being conformed to the world is good is relative. Do what's good for you until you see it as, until you don't see it as good for you anymore, or it becomes inconvenient. That's what, that's what a world would say. And then he says, verse 10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. So be genuinely affectionate towards one another and take delight in bringing honor upon someone else. That is a transformed mind. That is a life of worship. But a conformed mind to the world would say, love each other so long as it benefits you. No one should receive more honor than you. That's what the world would want you to think because that's how this world operates. Verse 11 Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. That's what a life of worship said. A conformed mind to the world says, do the minimum you can get away with. You don't owe anyone anything. Verse 12, rejoice in our confident hope. The world would say, go ahead and live for pleasure now. Transformed life would say, be patient in trouble and keep on praying is what Paul says. That's what a life of worship looks like, is patient in trouble and keep on praying. And a conformed life would say, complain when times are tough and make sure you complain to God too. Then he says in uh, verse 13, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. 
The worldly mindset would say when someone is in need, be ready with an excuse as to why you're unavailable. <laughs> right? Can you help me move? Oh, man, I can't. Sorry. <laughs> right? That's not, but we're supposed to be, if, if somebody's in need, we need to be ready to help them. Um, the transformed mind says always be eager to practice hospitality. The conformed mind says when you get inside, lock the door. Your home is your personal sanctuary and it must be protected. All right? He says bless those who persecute you. What does the world say? Payback is coming. Transformed mind says don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. The conformed mind says pray curses upon them. <laughs> Verse 15, be happy with those who are happy. The world would say be jealous of those who are happy. Life of worship says weep with those who weep. The world would say, get annoyed with those who weep. We've all got our problems, get over it. Verse 16, live in harmony with each other. The world would say, people are your competition. Life of worship says, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Conform life would say, remember how those you are beneath treat you? Well, there are people who are beneath you. Make sure they know it. And finally, the transformed life, the life of worship, says, don't think you know it all. And the conformed life would say, there's some real idiots out there. That's what the conformed life would say. And look, it's kind of hard to like say amen, and it's kind of hard to kind of laugh through some of these things if you're just being constantly convicted by all of those things. Because doesn't it kind of reveal to us how much our lives are really conformed to the patterns of the world instead of being renewed by our minds? And it's, 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 I wish it was a little bit easier, but guys, we live in a very fallen world that is telling us that this is the way you operate. And then you look into the word of God and it says, no, this is the way you operate. But if you're feeding yourself more over here in the world than you are in the word, well, guess what you're going to be conformed to? You're going to be conformed to the patterns of the world. And you're not going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're not going to wake up in the morning and go, man, I'm so grateful for mercy. And it's not going to lead your life. Instead, you're going to wake up and you're going to go, man, I got all these things I got to get done today. What else do I got to mark off my list? Oh my goodness. Like your mind is going to wake up in a worldly way. There's no wonder that, that we get so convicted by reading some of that stuff. But transformation is a process. So don't be too hard on yourself. Like go ahead and be convicted. I'm going to allow you that for you. All right. That's why we're here. But, but don't be too hard on yourself because are you at least doing better than you were a year ago? Because the, what the word says there is it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? It means that renewal is a process. That it's something that you are going to end up getting better at and better at and better at as you think upon the mercies of God. You'll get better at living a life of worship. And hopefully you're doing better than you were a year ago. Hopefully you're doing better than you were a few years ago. If not, well, that's between you and the Lord, but it's something we should definitely think about. Are you being renewed? Um, and if not, then, then what's the issue? And that's something that you're going to have to go to in your mind. What is the issue? Do you think of yourself maybe too highly? And that's causing conformity rather than transformation. Um, but he always goes back and he goes, if you ever get lost in all of that, remember the mercy that God has shown you. Remember the mercy that God has shown you in your life and it will take you back. It will take you back to a life of worship and a life of humility. 
So we're not going to read the rest of chapter 12, and we're not going to read chapter 13, uh, but I would encourage you to do that on your own time and truly spend time with the Lord in it. But I will give you the main points as you read along, okay? So as you, in fact, let that be your homework for this week. Um, in fact, do it before growth groups on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, because the we'll probably be discussing these things. Uh, but 12 and 13, I'm going to give you kind of the, the outline of what they are as you read through them. So number four, a life of worship seeks to live in peace. All right, it doesn't repay evil for evil. That's what he's going to talk about in verses 7 through 21 of chapter 12. And then at number five, he goes into chapter 13. At the beginning of chapter 13, the, what I want you to put down is a life of worship respects those in authority over them. And he's specifically talking about the government. All right. And before you think, well, Paul didn't live now whenever our government is so, or Paul didn't live in another country. Well, no, Paul lived when Nero was in charge. I don't know if you know much about Nero. He was not nice. Okay. But he still says in 13, have respect for those in authority. A, a, a life of worship respects those in authority over them. Number six, uh, a life of worship treats others with honor and respect. He's talking about loving your neighbor, and this is outside of the church. He's not talking about the believers inside of the church. He's talking about people outside of the church, and that's, that's verses 8 through 10 of chapter 13. And then number seven, a life of worship lives in the light rather than in the darkness. And that's verses 11 through 14 of chapter 13. All right, so read that on your own time. Use that as an outline as you go through those scriptures and as you read those scriptures. So let's continue on to chapter 14 because I wanted to, I could have picked any of those things to really, really talk about. Um, and I'm, but I'm gonna leave those to you on your own time because I really wanna break down what this last part says uh, in chapter 14. Um, so we're going to continue. Let's read verses one through three together real quick. And uh, then we're going to jump to verse five. So it says this, all right? He's talking about the church again. Um, and, and this is why, you'll, you'll understand why I want to talk about it. He says this, among the church, he says, accept other believers, accept other believers who are weak in the faith. And don't argue with them about what they think is right and wrong. So this is how we're to treat one another. That means there are going to be people in our, in our midst that are going to be weaker in the faith. There are going to be people in our midst that are going to be stronger in their faith. And you're going, which one am I? Well, we always think that we're the stronger one in the faith. And you know what that does? Causes a bunch of arguments. That's all that does. So he says, look, don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. So if you think you're the stronger one, don't, then the weaker one that you're looking at, don't just argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. All right? And, and, and don't allow them to argue with you about what they think is right or wrong. He says, for instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything. And he's specifically talking about meat, right? He's specifically saying, look, some people think, hey, it's cool to eat meat. Like the mainly Gentile audience and people like Paul, they're going, look, it's not really that big of a deal. I mean, like, we're not under any dietary laws anymore. Jesus died. He was resurrected. All of the laws were fulfilled. We don't follow dietary laws anymore. So it's okay. Yeah, okay. So that meat was sacrificed to an idol. That idol's not even real. That's not even a real God. So, like, we can eat anything we want. And that would be the mature, right? That would be the more mature, stronger person in the faith who would, who would think that way. He says, but another believer... 
By the way here, believer, they're not not saved, they're saved. Another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Like they don't want to touch the meat. They don't want to eat the meat. And that's probably the Jewish people who have never eaten meat in their whole entire lives because they've been following the law their whole entire lives. And now some meat is placed in front of them and they're like, no. Like I've been my whole life thinking that this is not okay, especially if it's sacrificed to idols. I'm not going to mess with it. And you see how that could cause division in the church. Because somebody could be like, get over yourself. Like, stop thinking that way. It's really not that big a deal. You're acting extremely immature about the whole situation. And another person could look at the other person and go, you don't care about God. You don't care about living in holiness. You don't care about honoring the Lord with what you're doing. You're just going to eat anything that's placed in front of you. You can see why it would cause some problems within the church. But what does he say? He says, verse 3, those who feel free to eat anything... Don't look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods, don't condemn those who do. For God has accepted them. What? God has accepted both of them. So guess who's right in that situation? Both of them. Both of them. We're going to talk about it more. Jump to verse 5. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than the other day while others think every day is the same. We honor God every day, not just one day. There's not one holy day, one day more special than the other. And look what he says. He says, you should each be fully convinced what, that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Be convinced by it. Those who worship the Lord on a special day, guess why they do it? To honor God. Those who eat any kind of food, you know why they do it? to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods, guess what they want to do? They also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. So he says in verse 19, so then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. He's saying, don't fight about everything. Don't fight about these things that aren't essential. I mean, there are things that we need to definitely put our foot down on, and that's going to be things like Jesus is the only way, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through him. We are going to put our faith, we are going to put our foot down on that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. We are going to, we are going to have to agree that scripture is our only authority. Like that's where our authority comes from. These are some essential doctrines in our faith. But guess what? There are going to be some things we don't really need to worry about. There are going to be some things that we don't need to fight about. So what if you have one conviction about one thing? So what if they have another conviction about something else? If it's not essential and it doesn't really matter, then it doesn't need to cause division in the church. And one, one reason that I want to take a deeper dive uh, together in this section is because this is something that I see happening far too often among the church global as, whereas, as well as the church local, is that people just fight. And for the life of me, I'm like, why can't we just get along? Like, why are people fighting so much within the church? Ah, but then it kind of hit me. Have you, ever, um, have you ever heard the term, you are a product of your environment? You guys have heard that before, right? It's, and it's true. We are a, pro a product of our environment. Um, it's why we don't want our kids hanging out with certain kids, right? Because <laughs> they're a bad what? Oh, you guys know what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah, because we think, oh, I don't want them to become that. Like, I don't, want them to, I don't want them to be influential and for them to end up looking like that, right? It's the same reason whenever you go and you see some kid acting a fool, like in the store, like you don't blame it on the kid. Who do you blame it on? 
The parents. You go, it's automatically the parents. Why? Because you know that child is a product of their environment, right? That's a lot of times why parents look at their child and go, look, when you're out in public, this is how I need you to act, all right? And do what you're told, not as you've seen, right? That's kind of what, that's kind of what you say to your kids whenever they go out. Because we know that there, we know that we are a product of our environment. That's why whenever uh, students go to church camp, how many of you guys grew up going to church camp? Anybody? Yeah, went to church camp. You know why? Uh, they, you, you know why? Whenever students go to church camp, um, they come back on fire for Jesus because it was cool for a week. Some of them, I would say, is genuine. The majority of them, not. But the reason why they were all up at the altar with their candles, being like, "We love you, Lord," right, and crying. Is because it was cool for a moment, because everybody else around them was doing it. Because for a moment, they weren't going to be singled out as the weirdo for doing those things. But also, guess why a week after you got back from church camp, 95% of those students were back to the same old way of living, because they're a product of their environment. And they struggle with that, and we struggle with that. Well, one thing, our country, our environment that we're all in, is really good at is having a spirit of criticism. And what a criticism spirit does is it leads to division. Everyone has this need to be right and to put down, not only be right, but to put down anyone who doesn't see things the same way they see them. I mean, you just turn on any news channel and usually they're bashing another side. You follow anybody on social media who's kind of a, a political guru, they're probably not just talking politics, they're probably bashing another side. That's just the country we live in. Like, do we live in a divided country or do we live in a unified country? We live in a divided country. It's because everyone is at each other. Give people a chance to argue and they're going to because everybody wants to be right. That's the environment that we live in. Like there's a reason why whenever you go to Thanksgiving, there are two things you're not supposed to talk about. What? Religion and politics. Exactly. You guys know it. Why? Because, because you know at the family gathering where everybody's supposed to be getting along, because we live in a world that is so divided and because we have all these keyboard warriors now who can so easily speak their mind to another side and just bash somebody else, now they're going to take it to the dinner table and somebody says one thing and then somebody perks up and goes, no, this is why. And then all of a sudden everybody's like, all right, Thanksgiving's over. Just everybody go home. Like with this, another, another failed attempt at being family, right? That's because we live in the environment that we live in. I don't know how many times I've seen it happen in the church. And do you know why it's happened in the church? Because the outside environment that we live in has leaked into the church. And because we are a product of our environment, we've allowed that to come inside and actually play a part in how we do things in church. How many times have you seen uh, two Christians going at each other over something? I see it all the time. Like, I don't care what's posted online. It could be even a Bible verse. Like you could look at it, it could be like, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And you're like, oh, okay, this is great. Surely no one's arguing about this. Open up the comment section and you're like, well, what just happened? Like, I don't understand. 
Why? And, and it's not just like, well, I believe it's this, and the person goes, and I believe this, this, and then, the, and then they all just go, great, praise God, let's go, meet, let's go reach people for Jesus. No. It's like, this is why you're an idiot, and this is why you're an idiot. That's what, that's what Christians are doing to one another. How many times, how many times uh, have I been at church where I'm standing around and somebody gives some comment like, I can't believe so-and-so is like, thinks this about this. I mean, can you even believe that? And you're just like, what? Like, why, why do we have to bash one another? And that's really what he's saying here. He's saying, look, we're, we're going to believe different things. Like, we are going to believe different things. Sure, we're going to believe, hopefully, the, the same things on the, on the major things. But on the minor things, look, we do not have to agree on things. And that's okay. And whoever's the weaker one in the conversation and whoever's the stronger one in the faith in the conversation, who cares? It doesn't matter. Every, again, everybody's going to think they're the stronger one, which is, again, why everybody leads to so much division and argument. But we don't have, like, for instance... I remember uh, back at our last church, we had an Easter egg hunt, um, and it was, to, it, was, it was an outreach event. It's a lot like what we do here. And we say, all right, we're going to invite the neighborhood, and we're going to have an Easter egg hunt. And I had somebody come up to me, and they're like, well, we're not going to participate in the Easter egg hunt. I'm like, okay. Like, you know why? Why? Because it's a pagan holiday, and because rabbits and eggs are extremely pagan. And do you know where that comes from? Let me tell you about this goddess of fertility. And, and then they want to take me back all the way. And I'm just like, okay. And I'll listen to them. And they can tell me all of those things. And you know what I could have done? I could have like jumped off the top row and been like, this is really what things are about. Like, is that, pay, is it, is that, was that goddess of fertility real? No. So then is it kind of pointless for all of this stuff? Like, yeah, does it really mean anything? No, not at all. Let's go have an egg hunt. Let's go lead people to Jesus. Get over yourself. Like, that's what I could have said. But do you know what? That person who didn't want to do an egg hunt because they didn't feel like it honored the Lord, that's why they didn't do the egg hunt. It wasn't that they were just against everything. It wasn't they're just walking around being like, I don't care. I'm going to point my finger at it and tell everybody I hate it, Right? That wasn't their attitude. Their attitude literally was when they came to me, they were like, I don't feel like this is honoring the Lord. And you know what my response is? Well, I feel like by having the egg hunt and by inviting people and telling people about the gospel, I feel like that's honoring the Lord. So do you know what's true in that situation? Both people are right. Because they're both convinced equally. So there's no reason to go into an argument there's no reason to go into what we see the world telling us that we need to do and conforming ourselves to the patterns of the world and having a fight and a knockdown drag out until we've convinced the other person of our side or we've completely trashed our relationship. Like we don't, we don't need to do that. You know what we do? I go, man, praise God you want to honor the Lord with that. We won't see you at the egg hunt, but I'll see you after. Let's go reach people for Jesus. And that person can look at me and go, even though we don't agree on that, and you feel like you're honoring the Lord by doing an egg hunt, you guys go do the egg hunt. I'll see you afterwards. Let's go reach people for Jesus. We don't have to fight. We don't have to have all this division in our churches. It doesn't have to exist. Look what he says again. He says, accept other believers who are weak in the faith. Don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Those who feel free to eat anything, all right? Those who feel free to have an egg hunt, don't look down on those who don't. 
And those who don't eat certain foods, the ones who don't want to have an egg hunt, <laughs> don't condemn those who do. For God has accepted both of them. And then he says in six, those who worship the Lord on a special day, they do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of foods, they do it to honor God since they give thanks to God. So those who refuse to eat certain foods all want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. If that's the heart behind everything, is that we want to please the Lord, then it's okay. We can get along. We just need to aim, he says in verse 19, aim for harmony in the church. Try to build each other up. The world says tear each other down. A renewed mind, a life of worship builds one another up. I don't know if I said um, the, the eighth one, but it's a life of worship seeks unity. A life of worship seeks unity. And there's going to be things we disagree on in this church, and it's okay to have strong convictions about something. All right? I expect us to have strong convictions. That's what actually what that scripture says. Be convinced. Have strong convictions about it. All right? That's okay. You can. But here's the thing. Your strong convictions, though, should never be stronger than your love for your brother or sister in Christ. Have your strong convictions, but don't ever let it overpower your love for your brother or sister in Christ. So, he goes on in, in chapter 15, and, uh, and he talks about um, how Christ is our greatest example of a non-conforming life and living a life of worship. And so you can go through and read verses uh, 3 through 13 if you want on your own time, because that's where kind of this section ends. Um, but let's all remember, let's all remember the mercy that God has shown us, and then may it transform our minds and our lives into a life of worship. So what I want to do, uh, just for a brief moment, is I want to give us just a chance to respond, but I want to do something first. I want to ask that each and every one of us just bow our heads for a moment in view of God's mercy on our lives. Remembering the mercy that God has personally shown you. The fact that you are sitting here redeemed. Let's for a moment be in view of God's mercy on our own lives. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.